Hashem Sol for learning Saita Daf Lamed Hey. We left off on Daf Lamed Hey on of seven lines from the top. We are in middle of the story of the spies, the story of the spies that Moshe Rabbeinu sent, Shlach Lecha Ledaitcha, and how ten of the twelve Meraglim came back with a bad Eitzah uh, in trying to impress on the Jewish people that we should not have the desire to enter the Holy Land. So continues the Gemara, it says, Vayahas Kalev es ha'am el Moshe, that Kalev quieted the people to Moshe. Now the literal meaning of those words would be that Kalev was basically asking the people that they should be quiet for Moshe to talk to them. But we don't find anywhere in the Chumash that after Kalev did this quieting that Moshe Rabbeinu actually spoke. So therefore, it cannot mean that he quieted the people, El Moshe, to allow Moshe to speak. But what does it mean? He enticed them, he tempted them with words. In other words, as we'll see, the people then, unfortunately, were already buying into the bad eights of the other spies. And they really wanted to hear more negative talk. So he opened up his speech in a way that people thought that he's also about to speak against Moshe. Now, Gemara gives a few words of introduction. He noticed how Yoshua started to speak in defense of Moshe Rabbeinu. And before Yoshua had a moment to really express a thought, an idea, Omri lay, they silenced Yehoshua, the people, by telling him, Will this one with a cut head speak? Why was Yehoshua called the one with a reish Many interpretations. One would be that Yehoshua then had no children. A person with no children can also be called a person without a head. And as we know in many places in Chazal, even when it comes to the din, that if a couple is married for 10 years, so then there is an ingen of sometimes getting divorced, but that's only if they live 10 years married in Eretz Yisrael, because there's a special shulgula of moving to the Holy Land to have children. So they told Yeshua, you don't have children. You want to go to Eretz Yisrael because you want children. So you're biased. We're coming and telling the people that there a very slim chance we're going to win the war. You want to go in. That's for personal reasons. Your opinion is not valid, amongst other interpretations. So Omar, so Kalev said to himself, If I will also start speaking in defense of Moshe Rabbeinu, in defense of Hashem's plan, also Amri Bey Milsa, the people are going to tell me something to silence me. Now the Gemara doesn't say what he was afraid of. So some Mepharshim say, we learned yesterday that Kalev broke off from the entire pact, even from Yehoshua. And he by himself, Vayavayat Chevrin, and in Hebron, there were the giants and the children of the giants. So they might have told Kalev, ah, when you went to Hebron, you made a deal with the giants there that, uh, to protect yourself. But who, we have no idea what, what type of understanding you reached with those giants. Other people, I'm saying perhaps, we learned in the beginning of this Masechta that Kalev, by Ben Chetzre and Kalev Ben Yefuna, Kalev married Miriam. So he was a family member. They would have told him, who are you to speak in defense of Moshe? You know, you're doing that because of family. So therefore, they're going to muzzle me. So so with great wisdom, Kalev opened up his words against Moshe, meaning he said, Is this the only thing that the son of Amram did to us? Now, when you mention a person without mentioning their name, it sounds like you are addressing them in a derogatory way. Is this the only thing that Ben Amram did to us? So Savri, the people thought, that Kalev is going to speak something negative. And therefore, Ishtiku, they were quiet. So Vayahas Kalev El Moshe. Ah, now that they're quiet, aha, Amr Lohu, Kalev told the people, you know what else he did for us? He took us out of Egypt, and he split the sea, and he gave us the man. And therefore, after such a great track record, even if Moshe Rabbeinu were to tell us that Asu Sulamis make ladders, and go up to the heavens, will we not listen to him? Indeed, we will go up and we will overcome them. We will inherit the land. And as we learned yesterday, there's Yorashta with the Yud, there's Hoyrashta with the Hay, and we will kick out all the inhabitants.
Now, continuing with the theme that we have in Hasidus, that the Meraglim, that their kavana, at least initially, was l'shem shamayim, that they were afraid that going into a land and having the obligations of engaging with the physical world will then lower them from their level and they will be unable to fulfill God's will of keeping the mitzvahs. So they felt that their, the, the goal would be to stay in a lofty state. So Kalev was telling them that just like if Moshe Rabbeinu were to tell us, go up to the heavens, stay in a ruchni yizdika state. If that is what Moshe Rabbeinu would have said, then we would, we would have done that. In other words, we have to listen, we have to do whatever the, the plan is. Now that it's telling us to enter the land is only nala. Really, it's a greater elevation. Because actually, when a yid engages in the world, as a Jew, as a chassid, this reveals even a higher level of our neshama. That no matter where we find ourselves, the truths of God is expressed even in the Gashmias. That isn't just an elevation, that's a double elevation, that's only nala. Then the Pasuk continues, But the other people, unfortunately, 10 of the 12 spies countered Kalev by saying, The Pasuk continues, And then they said the words, Because it, it meaning the people, the inhabitants, it meaning the, the living in the Gashmias is stronger Mimenu, in Lashon Kodesh, Mimenu has two meanings. Mimenu means then we, Mimenu means then he. It can both go on the plural and go on the singular. So, Amar Abchanina Bar Papa, Dovar Gadol Dibru Meraglim Ba'isasha. That at that time the Meraglim said something big, not big positive, big not positive. Ki Mimenu, when they said that it or they are stronger from we, Al tikri mimenu. By the way, Rashi doesn't have the verse, doesn't have the girsa al tikri, because normally when you have the words, don't read it like this, read it like that. There's some sort of emendation in the words themselves. Over here, they're leaving the word mimenu. So even if we have the girsa, the meaning is al tikri. Don't explain, don't teach, don't interpret. We el mimenu he kaviyachol. So to say. What they were trying to say, even the master of the home is unable to take his uh, objects out of the house. Now obviously, how can they even imply such a thing? So again, according to Hasidus, if Hashem is going to relate to the world like a melech, of course they knew God is a king, God is a master, God will do whatever he wants. But the whole kavana is to make from this world a dwelling place for him. Hashem wants to have a relation of kaviyochel, a balabayas in his home. A balabayas in his home, Dafke doesn't exert his mastery in his home. He wants to live there when he's invited in. In other words, the whole relationship is, as we know, we have freedom of choice. Hashem does not impose or force his will. Hashem wants us to choose him. If Hashem is going to relate to us like a balabayas, well, who says we'll make the right choices? We might make the right choices and we might make the wrong choices. And they were afraid that we, involved in Gashmias, will make the wrong choices. And then they added and they said, the edits, that that land is a land that devours its inhabitants, it, it consumes it. So, when they said those words, why did they say those words? That it's a land that devours its inhabitants. As we'll see in a moment, because wherever they went, they noticed dead people being buried. And really, because of Hashgachah Pratis, Hashem made it, Tataka, punct, wherever they went, people died. For people to be busy burying the dead without them noticing the spies. So Hashem did something for their good. And they turned it around and they interpreted it for the bad. Hashem says, My kavana, I had in mind, my machshava was for their good. And vehem and they, And that's the whole life, you know, that we believe in Hashgacha Pratis. We have no understanding about what's happening. We know it's all from Hashem. And making the interpretation can be very dangerous. You can interpret events in a negative way. And, and, and who knows? Maybe, maybe it was something positive. Why are you making the interpretation as to something bad when you can interpret it in a way that it's good. And here we know, God says, my kavana was, my thoughts were, wherever they came, some prominent person in that location died. Why? So the people, the locals should be busy with the burial. They shouldn't ask, what are these uh, strangers here? 
And don't forget, they knew that we had a mandate to enter, to enter the land. They were expecting us, which makes it a lot harder for a spy to blend in. They knew spies might be coming. So Hashem distracted them. Or other versions are that it's not that wherever people came, the chash of a person of that location died. Another version is Iyuv, Nach Nafshei, the great Iyuv died. And as we'll learn in Baba Basra, a whole different uh, opinions as to who he was. But let's learn now that he was, you know, the advisor of Pari that was then living in, er in Eretz Canaan. And his merit was such that it might have protected the people, but he died. And as Rashi says, let's read inside the Rashi, it's like from this height of the Gemara, probably 10 lines up. Rashi, in order for his merit not to protect him. So there's a concept that when a tzaddik is living in our midst, his chus protects the entire population, like we find in Sudan, and that's also Rashi says, why Kalev said, that their tzail, their shadow, left them. So as Rashi interprets, their tzaddik died. So they have no more protection. Lahoyer that it says in Zohar HaKadosh that every person has a side of the godly soul and the animal soul, but there's something called the Tzel Elohim, which is some type of medium through which our souls connect to our bodies. And a short while before a person passes away, that Tzel Elohim, whatever that is, leaves the person. And those who have eyes, who can pick up the Tzelem, Taka know when a person is about to pass away. And can you do that? The story of the Alter Rebbe, that after he was released the second time, but he was told to live in Petersburg. He was not allowed to leave that city. And there was a coup, and one brother killed the other brother amongst the czars. And Taka, from the first orders that the new czar made, was that the Alter Rebbe is free to go, which is why he went to Liadi. But what happened was, as we have the story, that the Alter Rebbe did Bidikas Chametz, the way at Sadiq does Bidikas Chametz. It took him many hours. And when he finished, he walked out to the porch. He saw Pugden, the carriage of the czar, about to be murdered, driving by. He looked in the carriage and he said these words. Sar tzila ma'aleim. As the Alter Rebbe saw that his tzel, his tzelem, his tzelem elikim left him. And he knew he's about to die. Back in the Gemara. So uh, one version was that Eov died. And vi'itri du kola alma behespeid. Everyone was busy with the hesped of Eov. Question is, if Eov died in one location... There was only one person dying when everyone in the whole land was busy in his uh, eulogy. You know, the communications then were not like they are today. Many Mepharshim say is that the Kananim had a minute that when people died, they were not buried right away. When were they buried? When a person who they considered was a tzaddik died, they felt that when the tzaddik is being buried, all those that are buried at the same time will somehow get the same ride into Gan Eden with the tzaddik. So, Everyone was busy burying. Why? Be because people who died for who knows how many years were accumulating. And now that Eve died, everyone was burying. So Haim, so what did they see? They saw this version, that version, that the people are being buried the whole time. They interpreted it in a negative way by saying, It's a land that consumes or that devours its inhabitants. And then they added by saying, Right, right, They said, that we were in our eyes like grasshoppers, and so were we in their eyes. So says the Gemara, they were liars. And as we started the beginning of the Amid, that they said lies, they mixed it with truths for the lies to be accepted. But this statement was a, was a false statement. The statement that we were in our eyes like grasshoppers, l'chaya. L'chaya, b'loshan ashas, means, you know, good, true. We were in their eyes like grasshoppers, how did we know how they perceive us? Says the Gemara to Rab Mesharsha and Avaloi, you're not saying correct. Why? Because Kihavu Mavre Avela, when the Canaanites, Lahavdal, like by the Eden, our, by us, the din is that after, right after a burial, the community has a responsibility to serve what we call a Suudas Havra'a, a healing meal, meal to the mourners. They also had that minute that right after the burials, they had this meal. And where did they eat that meal? Tusei, Arzei, they ate it under cedar trees. Havamavra. And Vechi, Chazinu. And when they started to notice us, 
So Saliku, we went up those trees. Yasvi Ilana, we hid on those trees. Shamei de Ka'amri, we heard them saying, Kachazinon, Inchi, did you see people, the Damulakamse Bi'ilani, that look like grasshoppers in the trees? So actually, they were the ones that called us grasshoppers. The Tois Vishans, let's read it inside, it's worth it, in the middle of the, of the column, or a little bit towards the, the lower part of the column, writes, Isa Medrish, we're reading it inside. Maisa Bebitishal Anna, Anna was one of the giants who had a daughter. She went into her father's orchard and she plucked, she picked a pomegranate. And you'll see, sadly, how the parents, how these giants in Yiddish, Nishfagint, bothered them that their daughters took a pomegranate without their permission. So she needed to hide it. And she threw out the peel. And one of the Meraglim were in their vicinity. And he hid in the peel of a pomegranate, right? The genoisar fruits, the humongous fruits. So the peel was so large that the meragel went into it. It's not done yet. And she, the daughter was afraid. He, the father might see the, the shell, the, the, the peel of the a pomegranate. And he'll notice that she stole a pomegranate. So what did she do? The klipa, she took that peel. The zarka she threw it outside the, the orchard. Who was in the peel while she threw it? She didn't even realize that a person is in the peel. That menagel. The The fact that he had a happy landing is a nest on its own. But uh, that's why they said we felt that in their eyes. You know, when you pick up a pill, if there's a bug on it or not, you're not going to notice it. The weight to you will be so insignificant. That is what happened with them. Continues the Gemara Vatisa Kolaeda Vayitnu Es Koilam Vayivkum. And the passage continues, and according to some, the continuation is important. It says, Vayivku Ha'am Balayla Hahu. And we know that they came back on the eighth day of the month that we call Menachemov. And during the day that they returned, they had this dialogue. And their psychological effect happened shortly after they returned. So by the time night came, they were crying. Here we have two versions. Either Oisa Hayoim Ereftishabav Hoyo. Or the Mercedes Ashas brings that Oisa Halayla Leil Tishba of Hoisa. Hoya. Amar Akadosh Baruch Hu and God Almighty said, Hey, Bochu Bechiyah Sholchinam, they are crying for nothing. Va'ani Egba Lohem Bechiyah Lodaitis, and I will establish that they will cry that night for many generations. For many generations. Continues the Gemara, Va'yuim Rola Eda. We're going back. In other words, in the after, right after the Shlishi, right in Shlach. So uh, that Yeshua and Kalev. They began to fight back and they said, So they started to say that if God wants, anything will happen. Have more Muna and Hashem. And the people, the entire congregation said to each other, that let us stone them with stones. Now, and it says in the same Pasik, in the same verse, that the glory of God appeared in the oil mayid. Why does that say in the same Pasik? So I mean, this is more than Doyushim Smuchin. This is not just it's juxtaposed. It's, they, were, they wanted to stone them, and God's glory appeal, appeared. Malamed, should not that they took stones and they throw it heavenwards. Either literally, and on Sefer Yitzira, words are called stones. Just like you build buildings from stones, you create words from letters. In other words, they were using their letters, they were using their words to speak negatively of Hashem. Or... According to Hasidus, in other words, their whole challenge was they couldn't see that godliness can be relevant and powerful even when it's in the stones, even when it's in the world. They threw the stones back up and they felt that to be holy and godly, you have to be removed from the world. Be that as it may, continues the Gemara. That the people who, get, who slandered with evil talk against the land, they died with a magefa, with a epidemic, with a plague. Ahmed Abshimim ben Lakish, that here the diuk is from the words ba magefa. You have to know digduk. So there's be magefa with a shva, with a plague, 
And then there is Ba Ma Gefa. Ba, based with Apatach, means with the known plague. It was Apsas, known death. That they died with a very unusual death. Mida connected Mida, as the Gemara explains. Amar Rabbi Chanina Bar Papa, Dora Shrabshila Ishkvar Tamrato. Melame that teaches you, Shenestar Veiv Lishoinum, that their tongues became enlonged, became long. And the Nafal Altiburim, and it hung all the way down to their navels. What we recall today in Epsilon Tafshin Ainvav, and to their core. And there were maggots leaving their tongues and going into their tiburam, going into their navels, and from their navels going into going back into their tongues. You know, there's an amazing story that's written in one of the Gerus of Rab Moshe. I hope someone here can, uh, I'll say it next year, to know exactly where it's written, that when Rav Moshe Feinstein became a Rav for his first time when he was young, there was a person passing away, and when he walked into the room, that person asked for everyone to leave, and long story short, that person told that he was dying because his tongue was swelling. And ultimately, when the tongue swells to the point that the ear cannot pass, he knew he was going to die. And he told Rav Moshe that he knows why he's dying. And he told him that he, that was right after the portion where we read about the overturning of Sudaim, Parshas Vayera. Sorry, Parshas Lech Lecha. And, and uh, he spoke in Shul about the chutzpah of the daughters of Lot. Mela, the younger one, she at least did not show off that she slept with her father. But the older daughter called her son Mayav, Mayav. How can a daughter have a relation with her father? And he says that he dreamt two elderly women. They came to him and they told him that we're the daughters of light. And you spoke very sharp words against us. And they said that you have no understanding what was going on then. That they talk, like Rashi learns in Chumash, that they really thought the world was destroyed. And L'shem Shemayim Neschavnu. And she called it Me'ah for people to know that. That they did. They went on a serious nefesh. And in punishment for him speaking against the daughters of Lloyd, this is the same type of death that he had, that his tongue swelled because he spoke negatively against her. So that's what happened to the spies. That it wasn't that their tongues went all the way to the cores, but Ba'askara Mesu. Askara is called Quincy. Rashi quotes Masech Shabbos. We're speaking about the different types of deaths. By the way, we have that also in Brachas. But Rashi quotes from Shabbos that Askara, right, is a death that happens when people speak Lashon Hara. And perhaps, if it's just the tongue or the tabor, the tabor, the, the, the navel, represents the core. Maybe it means that in the core, a Jew is, is never sinful. So their cores were kosher. Their tongues were not kosher, so they only died by askara, but it wasn't that from their tiburam something was happening. Anyways, now we're going back to the miracle of the splitting of the Jordan River. So what we learned yesterday and two days ago was that when the Kahanim that were then leading the Jewish people and then the Kahanim were holding, were, were holding, were carrying the Aron Kodesh, the moment they put the palms of their feet in the Yarden, the Yarden River split and the waters, instead of flowing downstream, the waters began to flow up. And we had a Machlikas and Tanoim as to how high the waters went. Now all of the Jewish people went through and in the middle, Yeshua gave a couple of drashas. But now it says, The moment the last Jew walked out on the west bank of the Jordan River, where were the Kahanim? The Kahanim stepped in the river on the east bank of the river because we were on the east. And they stood there the whole time. So when the last Jew exited the west of the Jordan, the waters went back to their place. Meaning that at the end of all that, the Kahanim that were holding, carrying the Aron Kaidish, they were on the other side. As it says, that it was right after the Kahanim went up, the ones who were Noise Aroin, the ones who were carrying the Aron, which houses the Bris Havaya, the covenant of God, Nitku Kapais Kahanim Alright, the, the souls of the Kahanim moved. On the dry land, at that moment, the Jordan Rivens returned to its normal flow. And they continued to go, the way they went yesterday, the way they went two days ago, they went the way they always went. So, yeah, 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 yeah. And Al Kol Gedoisov, and it went on all of its banks. In other words, the Jordan River, when it went back, it went back, Mamish, to the way it was. 
So the, the problem is the Kahanim are on the wrong side. Nimsa traps that Aroin, Aroin Venoisov, that the Aroin and its carriers who are the Kahanim, right, the Vav is a little bit problematic, is Mitzad Echad, they are on one side of the Jordan, Vizrol Mitzad Echad. So what happened? Says the Gemara, you know how the Kahanim went over? They flew over the Jordan. And you know how, you know who carried them over the Jordan? The Aroin Kaidish itself. Nasa Aroin Es Noisov. That the Aron carried those who thought they were carrying the Aron. The Avad and it crossed over. Shemad as it says, Vayikasher Tam Kol Ha'Am Lavad. When all the people concluded in crossing over, Vayavod Aron Hashem Vahakianim Lifnei Hashem. That the Aron was the one that carried the Kahanim to. I'm sorry, Lifnei Ha'Am to go back to be Lifnei Ha'Am. As we learned, they were not in the center as they normally were when we traveled in the desert, but they went back to be in front of all of the people. Oh, so now that we are learning again the concept that the Aron Kodesh is noisei es noisav, it carries its bearers. That knowledge was what was lacking with the tragic story that happened with Uzzah. So now we're going to go right there. We learned in Daf Lamed Gimel Amid Beis Rashi Bikitzer. And Daf Lamed Dalad Amid Beis Rashi brought down the story, which was that when Eli Hakain, during the end of his life, the Aron Kodesh was stolen by the Pelishtim. And the Pelishtim had it for a couple of months. And terrible things were befalling the people that were holding the Aron Kodesh. And after those months, they understood that it doesn't belong with them. And there's a whole other nest that we'll learn in the Gemara later, how they sent it back to the Jewish people. They put it on cows and there were calves. The kids said, the bottom line is, is that the Aron Kodesh was carried by oxen, by cows, and it went to the area of Beit Shemesh. And it ultimately, the Aron Kodesh ended up in the house of Avinadov in a neighborhood called Kiryas Yideim, as we'll learn here in the Gemara. And it stayed there for many, many years. Rashi, I think, said for more than 20 years, right? That was Rashi at the end of Daf Lamed Gimel Lamed Beis. And then, oh, exactly. Rashi says it was there for 20 years. After 20 years, David HaMelech by then conquered Yerushalayim. And David HaMelech said the Aron Kodesh should go to Yerushalayim. So we sent a group of people to take it, lead it by Uzzah. And a tragedy happened. Valdavar Zeh, well, let me speak it by heart. So what happened was is that Uzzah, and ultimately, David HaMelech forgot an explicit pasuk in the Torah that even though the Nisim donated to the Beis HaMikdash, not that many things, right? The, the stones for the Cheshen Mishpat, but they donated the gifts during the 12 days of Hanukkah. Sabayis, they donated 12 carriages that were used both by the Gershon family and by the Murari family. But the Kahasi family did not get any of those carriages because their service was bakasef. They needed to carry everything on their shoulders, including the Aron Kodesh. The Aron Kodesh was never put on top of a wagon that was schlepped by animals. So they forgot that Pasik. And Uzzah put the Aron Kodesh on a wagon that was being led by oxen. And for a moment when the oxen shook, the wagon shook, and it appeared as if the Aron Kodesh is going to fall off the wagon. And Uzzah was overcome with fear. Oi, the Aron Kodesh is going to fall. And because of that fear, he jumped and he touched the Aron Kodesh itself. And he died. He took six steps and he passed away. So, as it says, that while they were leaving Avinodov's house in Kiryas when they were going to a place called the threshold of Kidoin, and over there, Vayishlach Uzas Yodai, Uzzah sent forth his hand. To catch the Aaron. Amrle Akadosh Barhu, Akadosh Barhu said, Herzachain Uzzah, Noisav Nasa. The Aaron, the Aaron Kaidish carries those who bear it properly. Meaning, we never touch the Aaron. The Levium or the Kahanim, they used to only touch the poles of the Aaron. And they put it on their shoulders. And even there, who was really carrying whom? The Aron was carrying the Levim or the Kahanim. Is Atzmaili called You think it cannot carry itself? And Vayichar Af Hashem Be'uzah, Hashem's Af, Hashem's Kaviyachal anger was directed towards Uzah. And Vayakuhu Sham, and he smote him there. Al Hashal, on the Shal. What does the word Shal mean? So Rabbi Yechanan and Rabbi Lazar, Machlokes HaMeroim, Chadomar Al Iskei Shaloi. Shal comes from the word Shoigeg. He made a mistake. And he got punished for that mistake. The Chad Omar, that the word Shal doesn't come from the word Shoigeg, but the word Shal in Lashon Kodesh means the droppings of Ki Yishal Zeisecha. Here it means that Uzzah, Pashati, he, uh, he accidentally, let's learn it that way, 
when he was so fearful in that moment that he thought the Aram Kodesh is going to fall, that uh, in English, he made in his pants. I forgot the lotion, the cleaner expression for that. And, and that was disrespectful because that happened in front of the Aram Kodesh. Now, he lost his bowel movement because of fear. It happens when people are overcome with a quick pachad. We learned that before when it comes to a woman getting her period, if you remember. And we learned this here when it comes to the bowel movement. Umay Sarav, you know, Bechal by Malkus will learn that when Bezin was about to whip someone, it happens sometimes that from fear people lost their bowel movements. And the din there, by the way, is, is that the person who urinates in public in front of the Bezin, that shame already brings that person the kapara. They don't get whipped anymore. So anyways, he, he urinated. But that was very disrespectful in front of the Aron Kodesh. And that's why he passed away. And then it says, that he passed away with the Aron. He passed away with the Aron. He passed away. No, no, no. There's a message here. Uzzah went straight to Gan Eden. Shinemaras, it says that he is with the Aron Alekim, just like the Aron is Le'olam Kayom. As Rashi says, that Yoshio was the one some years before the first bias was destroyed, he put the Aron Kodesh with many other of the holy articles that we have in the room that Shleim HaMelech prepared for the Goyim never to get the Aron. The Aron is intact. Afuza is intact. Intact means that he went straight to Gan Eden. Now, when David HaMelech heard about it, it says, David. So the Gemara makes a very important clarification. You know, we, we read a lot in Chumash and in Tanakh, the word Chorah, Vayichan. Vayichan normally means angry. Here, it doesn't mean that David got angry. And the Gemara is going to clarify that Chorah Af, if you have the word Af, which literally means the nose, right? The ear. After the word Chorah, that means anger. Vayichan, without the word Af, means anguish. David was anguished about what happened. Vayichan le David. David was anguished, Allah Hashem, Peretz Uzzah, that there was a breach that happened regarding Uzzah. The breaches that he passed away. Omer Abelazar, it means, that the words Vayichar means just like when you bake a cookie on coals or a cake on coals, so the bottom of the cookie becomes black. He was so anguished that his face became darkened. Ah, he says the Gemara, yeah, Vachara means anguished. No, says the Gemara, not. Ha-ha-sam, in other places in Tanakh, Vayichad means anger because the Torah adds the words af. Ha-sam, ksiv af. Over here, you don't have the word af. Now, David. Ultimately, ultimately, there was, there was some type of uh, responsibility on David because he was the one that suggested that the Aaron should be put on a wagon. Why did that happen? It's because David HaMelech called the words of Torah music. As it says in Tehillim, in one of the Zayins, that your chukim, your statutes, David HaMelech says, for me are music. And they gave me joy even bebeis miguroi. Let's interpret the words miguroi from even when I was living in a home of fear. How did I get Kayach? By learning Torah, and that was music to my ears. So that sounds like such a positive compliment to the Torah. Hashem tells David HaMelech, Divrei Torah, regarding the words of the Holy Torah. Regarding it, it says that he that if you close your eyes to the Torah, you lose it. In other words, my Rebbe used to tell me in Cheder that I forgot the Pasuk, that if you, if you don't learn for one day, it's as if you didn't learn for two days. Because Torah is godliness, which is infinitely higher than us. The fact that we can learn Torah is a miracle. But the moment a person, God forbid, disconnects oneself from Torah, it's as if, if we walk away from it one day, so I walked away one day. The Torah walked away in the opposite direction one day. If you close your eyes to the Torah, you immediately forget it. And we'll see how Hasidus explains the counter to the music. And you call the Torah music. Ah, I'm going to make you stumble with David and something. And something that even children that just go to Cheder know. Because it says in the Pasuk clearly, as we mentioned, that the wagons were not given to the Kohasi families. He avoided this Hakodesh, Alehem, Bakasef, Yisau. 
And Viu Asyo Beeglisa and Dovid Amelok brought it on a wagon. So there's a beautiful Kuntrasachan. Uh, there's an essay that we're about to learn by Hashgacha Pratis, right? Wow, it's today. That's Mamash Divine Providence. Today, meaning it, today is Yudalad Kislev Tavshan Ainvov. And the Altadeber explains that how can it be? What's so wrong that he's being criticized for calling the Torah Zmiros? David Zmiros Kariselahu. So the Altadeber Bekitzit explains this theme that we have in Hasidus. And that's so important when it comes to the general approach of learning Torah that the Torah has what we will call a Panim and an Achir, a front and a back. The front or the Pneumius of Torah is godliness. Hashem gave himself to us by putting himself in the Torah. What is the back? What is the lower level, the infinitely lower level of the Torah? Seichel. The words, the language, the understanding, the logic. The, especially the Luchas, when it says in the Gemara that from the many Nisei Nisim that happened in the Luchas was that no matter from which direction you read the Luchas, it always appeared to be written correctly, which is Mamashanes, because if you were to write any letter and engrave it through and through in a stone, the other side, the letter should appear backwards. Why was there no backside to the Torah? Because when Hashem gave us the Torah, and even though later, because of the breaking of the Luchas, we lost it now in Golos, but the Luchas really revealed the Pneumius of the Torah. The Pneumius of the Torah, the godliness of the Torah is higher than music. It's higher than everything. And that is particularly true when it comes to the Luchas, which is why people carried the Luchas on their shoulders. Because when the Levium carried it, no one was allowed to put their back towards the Luchas. Everyone needed to face it. Because the Luchas revealed the Pneumius, the Panim. There was no backside to the Torah. No matter from what direction you looked at it, you saw the inner part, you saw the correct part. You saw the godliness in it. So David HaMelech, Dafke, because he was such a great tzaddik, and he was able to access the godliness of the Torah compared to that level, so then calling the Torah Zmiros is a lowering of a level. And putting it on the oxen expresses that because there is a backside facing the Aron Kodesh. And uh, that also explains that the Noisei Es Noisav goes to the godliness on the Torah. In other words, Alpi Aveda, people can learn a lot of Torah. And God forbid people can stumble. And the question is, how can a person who's learning so much Torah fall because they're not connecting to the Pneumius of the Torah? They're only connecting to the logic of the Torah, which is a good beginning. That's the only way we can get to the Torah, at least in Golos. We have to go from the lower level to the higher level. But even when we are only learning the lower level, we have to constantly remind ourselves that all of this logic and understanding and enjoyment, which is nice, that's only the external part of the Torah. The Pneumius of the Torah is something infinitely greater. And that is what we should be seeking. Back in the Gemara. Then it says, Vayach ba'anche be'shemesh, kiro ba'aren, that when, the, when, when the, the, we're going back and forth a little bit, that when the Polishim, when the Polishim send the Aron Kodesh, when they sent it to the Jewish people, so when it came to a place called Beit Shemesh, there were people in the field working, and when they saw the Holy Ark, they, they got punished for not acting respectfully. Frek the Gemara, just because they saw it, they got smitten by God? So one of them says that they did not stop working. While they were working, they bowed down to the Aron Kodesh. That not only did they show some sort of disrespect by not stopping their work, turning to Ahmed, but they also spoke out negative words, which were man amriyach who angered you when you were angry. In other words, you left because you were angry with us. Who angered you? And now you came back on your own? Uman asa Allah, the ifayast, and what type of approachment happened to you that you got appeased? Or to word it like this, the way the Masha speaks out, that there is the connection of God with love. And love makes you feel hamish and close. So while they were working, they were learning. That's when you have only love of God and love of the Torah. But the base of all the bases, the beginning, Tanya Pedik Memalif, you have to have Yira. It's like a close relationship, but it begins and it ends that God is infinitely greater than us. And that goes to the Torah as well. So when you have a proper awe to the Torah, ah, from awe, then you don't speak words of that you would speak to someone that's on your level. While I'm working, I'm learning, or what made you angry? I'm, you know, I'm happy. You're having a conversation here with the Torah. There was a certain expression that showed that they lacked the awe 
of being aware that the Torah that we have is really infinitely greater than what we think we have. And that has to always evoke the feeling of real Yiram. Continues the Gemara Vayach Ba'amad during that time and the people in Beishemesh, they were smitten. How many people passed away? It says in the Pasig, Shivim Ish, 70 men, Vachamishim Elafish, and 50,000 men. And the unusual expression of these words is on many levels. First of all, normally the Torah speaks the larger number before the smaller number. Secondly, why do you have ish, ish twice? Normally the Torah would have says, shivim v'chamishim ish. Shivim v'chamishim elof ish. So why is it that way? That 70 people passed away. However, why does the Torah speak out thousands? Each one of those 70 people were like equivalent to Hamishim Ela 50,000. And I'll pick Kabbalah, whatever those numbers mean. The Chadamar, that it was actually 50,000 people that passed away, but every one of those 50,000 people were like the entire 70 Sanhedrin. So in other words, Dafka, because these were very learned people, did they on one hand feel very close to the Torah? There was a love they had to the Torah. They felt Hamish with the Torah, but like David HaMelech, they, they, from them, God expected for them to at least be aware that there's something much greater, there's the, the infinite godliness in the Torah, and when people are more aware of it, then we never lose the awe, the yira, that we should have when it comes to God, and godliness, including Hashem's holy Torah. Then it says, so, Okay, so now this tragedy happened. And, and after it happened, the, 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 the Aron Kodesh stayed in that location for a while. And ultimately, David HaMelech wanted the Torah to be taken to Yerushalayim. But now that they're taking it, after Uzzah passed away, there was a, a lot of fear. They were afraid to take it. And when they successfully brought it to Yerushalayim, they were so grateful that nothing happened, that there was a tremendous amount of karbonis that they offered. So it says in the Pasuk, and now we're, we're going to show a contradiction between Psukim and Shmuel, or in Malachim, versus Psukim and Divrei Hayamim, and we're going to reconcile these apparent contradictions. It says here, he quotes in Shmuel Beis, Shmuel Vayhi, just to say Shmuel Beis was born by the Goyim. By us, we learned, when, we, when we learned the division by Baba Basra of all of the Tanakh, there's no Shmuel Aleph and Shmuel Beis. The Goyim were the ones that, that divided into two Sfarim. I don't know if we should refer to it that way. So Vayhi, she should saw them that whenever the ones who were carrying the holy Adon after Uzzah, whenever they took six steps, they brought Shoyrumeri, they brought an ox. The word Meri means a fatling, an animal that was fattened to be slaughtered for every six steps, one carbon. And then it says, Shishiva Padam Vishiva Elim, that they brought seven oxen and seven rams. So, what, what exactly was it? So, Rav Papa Barshmuel clarifies that there were two parties bringing carbonos. There were the ones that were carrying the animals. They were grateful. They were offering carbonos. And David HaMelech himself, grateful that nothing happened to them, also brought his carbonos. So, here you have Shoydumiri. David HaMelech brought for every step. He brought one ox and one fatling. For every six steps, Shiva Padam Shiva Elam, they, the people that were carrying it, brought seven, uh, 14 animals, six, seven oxen and seven rams. If they brought it after they took every six steps, they brought it there. Don't forget, this was at a time that the Beis Hamikdash was not established yet. During those pockets of time, we were allowed to offer karbanas on a privately made, what we would call Bama platform. So says the governor, if that's the case, Melissa Kolaret Yisrael Bamais. Was it that way? Was Israel every seven steps, every six, um, every six steps, was there a Bama? For every six steps, David HaMelech brought in Yerushalayim one oxen and one fatling. For every six st- uh, sets of six steps, 36, twice high, they brought Shiva Podim, Veshiva Elim. Exactly what's the question and answer here? Hashem should enlighten me for sure. What was the question? What was the answer? What's wrong with the whole Israel being filled with Bamais? And if there's a problem with that, so okay, instead of six steps, 36 steps. Still, every 36 steps they build the Bama. And now it says, again, the contradiction, that where did the story happen with Uzzah? So we had this in Lamed Heyom at Aleph. So it says the words, Kidoin. Um, right, we had that passage over there. And over here, 
as we're quoting, says the Gemara, it wasn't Nachal, it wasn't Goyden Kidain. Uza was in, in, the, in the granary called Kidain, and it says in Divrei Hayamim Nachain, the same place was called Goyden Nachain. What was the name of that location? They call that place Kidain. Kidain means a spear, because that location ultimately caused Uza to die. And after the people successfully brought the Aran from there to Yerushalayim, they called that place Nachain. Nachain means established. All right, Vaitin. Nim says, Ato Now we learned the Braisa regarding yesterday, regarding uh, uh, the speeches that Yeshua gave. That takes courage. He says, You're standing in a miracle. The waters are standing like a wall. And he gave a drasha. And as we learned yesterday in the Braisa, that it wasn't that he told them once to take 12 stones. We learned that he told them twice to take 12 stones. 12 stones were taken from the middle of the Jordan River, and they were put exactly by the feet of the Kahanim. As we learned yesterday in the Braisa, so for, for all generations, when people are going to see these large stones on the banks of the Yardin, they're going to ask, what are they doing here? It's a monument reminder of the, of the nace that Hashem did there for the Jewish people. But Yeshua again told 12 representatives of the tribes, each one for one tribe, to take another set of 12 stones. And those were taken with them to Hagrizim Harevel. And they were set up on Harevel as a Mizbeach. And there the title was written on it. And then they were taken apart, and they were brought to Gilgal, and they stayed in Gilgal. So now, adds the Gemara, I want you to know, there was actually a third group of 12 stones. Now it's going to come out. There were three sets and three types of stones. Echad, one that we did not learn about yet. What's the Bach? One, there was a group of 12 stones that Moshe Rabbeinu set up. On the east side of the Jordan River, in the land of Moyev, Shirem, as it says, in the beginning of Devarim, that the Eber Hayardain, the Eretz Moyev, Ho'il Moshe, Moshe began, Be'er HaToyra Hazois. He began to clarify the Torah. And as we learned, Chumash Rashi, what was that Be'er that Moshe Rabbeinu interpreted the Torah into 70 languages? Vaited, like we learned by Yahushua. And it says later in Chumash Devarim, when Moshe Rabbeinu was commanding Yahushua what he should do regarding the stones that will be set up in Har Eval, later taken to Gilgal. So it says, Moshe Rabbeinu told the Yidin that they should write on those other 12 stones. A is called By Moshe Rabbeinu it says, There it says, Clearly, Expressed, clearly articulated. We make a that just like the ba'ed hated by Yeshua is that they wrote on it all of the Torah. And to speak out again, Machloikis, that Absad Yagon says that they wrote on those stones all of the Tariag mitzvahs interpreted in all of the 70 languages. According to many other Rishonim, they wrote the entire Hamishay Chumshay Torah. In all of the languages, not only in Lashon Kodesh, in all the 70 languages. Moshe Rabbeinu did the same thing. So you have the stones that Yeshua had that had the whole Torah. Really you had the stones that Moshe Rabbeinu made in Eretz Moyev with all of the, whatever that was, all of the Torah in all of the languages. And the Hecha Shehekim Yeshua Batecha Yardin. And then you had the 12 stones that had nothing engraved on it. It was a monument to the miracle of the splitting of the Yardin. As it says, The other one was Shehekim Bagilgo, as we spoke out. It was really set up on Evil. But after we left Hagrizam Har Evil and we went back to the Gilgo, we took those stones with us. As it says, And now we have. Again, the 12 stones of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Marshall writes beautiful. There are different pillars, there are different stones, there are different foundations to Yiddishkeit. One is that Torah is min HaShemayim. And that is what the stones of Moshe represented. The stones of Yoshua represented, since we set them up first, Har Grizim and Har Eval, is that our foundation is that we believe in Schar Einish. In other words, that what we do here is very meaningful. What we are doing here actually changes, affects the kavan of creation. Which is why there is reward and punishment for that which we do or don't do. And the third set of stones that were set up in the Yardin says the Holy Marsha, that is a monument to attest to our belief in specific divine providence.
in Ashgacha Pratis. In other words, there were events that happened in nature that even, that we should never, God forbid, say, Mikra Nikra, it happened. And we took advantage of a certain physical phenomenon. No, that the splitting of the Yardin was made specifically for the Jewish people. And as we read, that the moment the Kahanam put their feet in, that is when it happened. The moment the Kahanam took their feet out, that's when the Yardin went back to normal. And that is a, t- a monument to remember the concept of divine providence. Continues the Gemara Tanu Rabbanan. If you'll learn, you'll become a Rabbanan. Kate said, Kosvi Yisrael Satayra. Here there's an amazing Machlekes Tanoim. Exactly how was the Torah written on these 12 stones? So the Tana Rebbe Yehuda says, this is Gavaldik, Al Gabi, Avonim, Kosfua. They wrote it on the stones. Machi Dushayim. Because we keep on reading that we were ordered to cover those stones with plaster. Which means before we covered the stones with plaster, the Torah was written on it, and then it was covered. Shinemer, as it says, And only afterwards, Basid were they coated with plaster. Now, Rabbi Shimon disagrees with Rabbi Yehuda. According to you, Rabbi Yehuda, how can you say that the Torah was written? And then it was plastered. How will the nations of the world of that time learn the Torah? Now this is not Pashat Shaykh to speak out now in this limited time, but just to be aware, this is very important, that when it comes to Goyim learning Torah, we have two statements in Chazal. One of them is that we Jews are prohibited to teach them Torah. There is also another prohibition on them to learn Torah. And that has to be reconciled. Whether it goes on Tereshub Achsav, Tereshub Alpeh, there's a lot to talk about, not for now. But here we are learning that the purpose of the writing of the Torah in all 70 languages was for the Goyim of the time to have an opportunity to be able to see the Torah. So according to you, Rabbi Yehuda, how can they read the Torah? Answers, Rabbi Yehuda, Amar Loi, I'll tell you how. Bino Yiseida Nita Nasan that God Almighty put an additional wisdom into the Goyim. And the Shigru Noitreim Shalahem, they sent their scribes, they killed for Hasid, and they unpeeled the plaster. And now you have perhaps an imprint, right? You have a seal, an, a, a protruding seal of the words of the Torah. And they figured out how to make a copy of it. And the and they carried a copy of this inscri- inscription with them. In other words, that for the Goyim, for the Yidin, that really understanding the Torah, you have, to, you have to go underneath the surface. You have to work on it. It's not a safer that you just read. If you just read it, you won't get any of it. So they dafka put it under the plaster. They needed to you know, undo a layer, go at least beneath the first layer, and then they took it with them. Now, and Va'alzeh, and it was exactly because of this that Nishatin Gzardinam, that the decree against the Goyim was sealed. And they were sealed to go to the Be'er Shachas. What, why are they going to go to, 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 to Gehenim? Because they were given an opportunity to learn Torah and they didn't learn Torah. So Teisvis over here, the third Teisvis. So he brings the whole Gemara Navi Zoda that when Mashiach is going to come, one of the statements that the Goyim are going to make in their defense to God that we were never given the opportunity. And this is connected to this discussion that they were given the opportunity. And Toysus has questions, Ayn and Toysus. In other words, there is, there is a concept that Hashem, once in history, needed to provide to the nations of the world an opportunity to learn the Torah. And there, foregoing that opportunity makes them guilty of not accepting the Torah. However, Rab Shimon disagrees with Rabbi Yehuda in two points. Now, we'll just read it inside. First of all, he tells them that, Pashat, historically, Begashmias, the Torah wasn't written on the stones and then covered with plaster. The plaster was put on the stones, and on top of the plaster was written the Torah. First of all, Agabi Sitkosfor. They wrote it on the plaster. And in other words, it was written in a way that it made it easier for the Umma Yisraelim to get access to the Torah. And what did they write? Rashi interprets that after writing, let's say, all the Chamishi at the end, they wrote again the following verse. Now, when you repeat the verse and you write it at the end of the column, that's to make clear what the purpose of this was. And what passage did they write again at the end of this interpretation? In other words, when it's written, 
that uh, when it's written that we're not allowed to allow any of the seven nations to live in Israel, there's a big machlekes beginning with Tanoim, what that means. So the question amongst the arguments between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon will be that Rabbi Yehuda held that even, let's read Rashi inside, the Lamata, right, Chosfu Lamata, it's Mamash to the left in Rashi, that Besoif Adaf, they rewrote the verse, Lamana Sheyelamdu Oid. In other words, it says before that we should utterly destroy the Amoidim and the Knanim. And why should we destroy them? So says Rashi, according to Rab Shimon, they wrote this in the bottom, to let know to the members of the seven nations that were not in the boundaries of Israel, according to Rab Shimon, that for them we had no mitzvah to, to annihilate them, to destroy them. We were only commanded, we only needed to kill those of the seven nations that were living in the boundaries of Israel. Why? Because we did not want them to teach us their abominable, their terrible behaviors. According to Rab Shimon, the ones who lived out of Israel, if if you want to do tshuva, meaning if you want to keep the seven Noahide laws, the so ask Sarashi if, if they were given an opportunity to accept the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noyach, why didn't Hashem give, them that, give that opportunity to the seven nations that were living in the boundaries of Israel? So says Rashi, that Ush Vesha Ein we will never accept them because Shabach Masyira Oisim. They were only going to do tshuva because they were afraid of what the Jews will do to them. So according to Rab Tanad Shimon, the mitzvah of not allowing any members of the seven nations to live were only directed to those who lived in Israel. The ones who were living out of Israel, actually, they, if they want, they can do tshuva. And, and, and where would they know that they can do tshuva? By, this, by these stones. They should, they should come and read it. And it says in it that we cannot allow live those who live in Israel because we, won't, we don't want to learn from them. So they'll understand, ah, but if we will not teach them our bad behavior, if we're going to adopt Jewish behavior to ourselves, if we're going to adopt Jewish values for ourselves, then everything is good with us. Back inside the Gemara. Halamadata, that comes to teach according to the Tanah of Shimon, and Rabbi Yehuda disagrees with that. Rabbi Yehuda held that the mitzvah of Loi Sechaya Kol Neshama doesn't only go to the Shiva, to the seven nations who are living in the boundaries of Israel, but it goes to all of the seven nations no matter where they are. Because since it says that the nations are going to be burnt like plaster, meaning they're going to be burned because of the plaster. Note, being that the words of the Torah were written on the plaster, it was easy for them to get the words of the Torah and they did not learn it. They did not do tshuva. That's going to be used against them. However, Rabbi Yehuda says the opposite, that they are going to be burnt like because of plaster. Just like plaster in Latakon El Sreifa, you can only make plaster by burning it. Kutin means other goyim, not the seven nations. They won't, they won't have a takana. They're going to be burnt because they should have peeled over the plaster and learned the Torah. But that is only towards the kutin, the seven nation members. They never stood a chance. They are people that we are not all, allowed to let live. Kaman Hazra says the Gemara now, according to this, according to whom is the author of the following b'raisa, in Parshas Kiseitzei, Kiseitzei Lamachom Alevecha. When you go out to war against on top of your enemies, and it says, and they will be given to your hands, and you will capture a captive. Says the Braisa, this comes to include that you can capture even a Canaanite woman that lives out of Israel. Ah, it says, don't allow any of them to live. So the Braisa says, that if one of the seven nation members live out of Israel. We could accept them if they do tshuva. Says the Gemara in Daflamid Vav. Come on, like Rab Shimin. According to Rabbi Yehuda, means both those who are in Israel and both those who are outside Israel were not allowed to be accepted. A lot has to be said on this. There's a big Bachlikas Rishonim, Rashi and Rambam. According to the Rambam, the Rambam is a lot more... Uh, uh, the Ramam's interpretation of Leisachai of, Kalnashama is that first we gave them an opportunity to be subservient to us. That was the peace. And only if not are we commanded to kill them, according to Rashi. Rashi Chumash, Rashi held that Leisachai Kalnashama means we were not allowed to allow, let live any of the members of the seven nations, period. There was no way about it. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, 
this goes both on those who live in Israel, both who live out of Israel, at least according to everyone, we have in the Torah the concept of completely annihilating nations, that we have Lukula Alma by Amalek, that there's a mitzvah to destroy the entire Amalek. We have that also in the Torah when it comes to Midian, and a lot about us is taught in Hasidus, what they represent, and the question, the machlekas of these Tanoim and the Rishonim, whether you have to completely annihilate them, whether there's a chance for some of them to, be, to make tshuva, that has to do with the concept of our own avoida, that there are certain things in us, the seven uh, midois, even the ones from the animal soul, they could be transformed to good. But then there are other character traits in us that are such unholy character traits like sinas chinam, etc., whatever Amalek represents, whatever Midian represents, that the only takana is breaking them, the destruction of those negative things is their rectification. A lot more about the miracles of the splitting of the Yarden River, Emir Tzashem, tomorrow.